0: All uh, right, let's get started. Uh, my name is Cots. I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome, and we are starting a new series today, and we are doing a series called "Making Sense Out of Dollars" because I love dad jokes, and and I was telling, I was explaining to my wife last night. It's called "Making Sense Out of Dollars." Get it, sense? She's like, no. And I, you know, when you have to explain a dad joke, then you know it's pretty bad. So, you know, sense like c e n t s out of. Anyways, okay, so as you might have guessed, we are now talking about money. And a lot of you, myself included, get very uncomfortable when a pastor talks about money. And there might be several reasons for that. Uh, One of them might be that you're like, hey, I don't need the church telling me what to do with my money, right? Or maybe you were raised in a culture where you associated a pastor talking about money with, oh, they're just trying to take our money. Right, and if that has been your experience about church, and you know, and let me also tell you, I don't like talking about money. And if you talk to any pastor, they don't. Well, okay, most pastors don't like talking about money because we don't want to come off to you as we're talking about money just so we could get money from you. Okay, so I just want to start off by saying the reason why we're talking about money, and trust me, I put this off as long as I could. People have been asking us to do a series on money for a very long time. And we were actually planning on doing a money series three years ago, but COVID hit and we're like, okay, we won't talk about it for three years. But now we have no excuses, so we're talking about it. But this is the reason we're talking about money. When we look at the New Testament and we look at the teachings of Jesus, right? And we think about what did Jesus talk about? You think like, oh, he talked about salvation, he talked about heaven, he talked about hell. If you were to take salvation, heaven, and hell and combine them together and count how many times Jesus talked about that, he talks about money, more than he talks about those three topics combined and if it's important to jesus i wouldn't be a good teaching pastor if i didn't talk about it with you guys so um, i apologize i haven't talked about this before but let me just put everybody's heart at ease right now because god doesn't want money from you okay he doesn't want money from you as a matter of fact if you look at jesus's teachings as much as he talked about money he only asked for money once and that was for a sermon illustration. He was like, hey, does anybody have a coin? Yes, okay, you see whose image is on this coin? It's Caesar's face. And it doesn't say so in his biographies, but we like to think that Jesus gave it back to the guy after he was done with his sermon. Okay, so he, he, he's not, every time Jesus talks about money, he's not talking about money so that he could get more from you, okay? As a matter of fact, the reason why he talks about money so much is because God is concerned about the implications of finance. He cares about what money can do to you or what money could do for you. And it's really interesting when we think about money uh, because, you know, if I were to give a sermon about marriage, a few of you would be like, oh, this is exactly what I need to hear. But a lot of you would be like, well, I'm not married or I used to be married or, you know, marriage didn't work out for me. And so I only talk to a few you know, I'm only addressing a, a small portion of you guys. Or if, you're, if I were to talk about, hey, let's talk about raising kids. Most of you are like, hey, I'm done with that. I don't need to worry about that anymore. Give you do a sermon series on raising grandkids, right? Or um, you're like, no, we chose not to have kids or I can't have children. And so, but, but when it comes to money, almost everybody here has a story about money. As a matter of fact, my son, who's nine years old, he's learning, I mean, we're trying to teach him about how to be responsible with money. He has an allowance, and he also could do chores around the house. And even you know, and he's nine years old, we're teaching about money, but as it turns out, he's already been learning about money at school, like look at his math problems, right? Like Susie has $5, so-and-so has $9, you know. So money is something you talk about and you think about from an early age all the way to the day you probably die. And so money is a very big part of life, and this is why Jesus talked about it so much. And because Jesus talked about money so much, and he's not asking for money, but he's just concerned about the implication of finances, we need to talk about it also. So today's sermon is more like an intro to this series. We're going to be talking about this for four weeks Lori will be preaching, and on the last Sunday, like we did for the last sermon series, we're gonna do a question and response. And I believe Pastor Stan will be coming up here and taking your questions. So if you have questions through the sermon series, think about it, keep it in your mind, write it down, put it in your pocket, bring it with you in force of, one, two, three, four, so three Sundays from now, and then we'll try to uh, talk about it, uh, you know, question and answer style, okay. So I want to start off with a story about a guy named John Wesley. This is John Wesley, nice long hair. And uh, if you don't know, if you've probably heard his name before, but you don't know who he is, as we mentioned earlier, we are a church that is part of a denomination called the Free Methodists. And the Free Methodists branched off from of the Methodist, and he was the founder of the Methodists. And so I tend to like to read his stuff. and. Uh, and he left a lot of writings, and one of the things he left was his diary. And I don't know if it was meant to be read. I don't know how you feel about people hundreds of years from now reading your diary, but we did that with him. <laughs> I mean, we read Paul's letters, and so I guess it's okay to do this. Okay, but um, in his diary, there's this really interesting story. It was a cold day, and he was, you know, decorating his room. All of a sudden, there's a knock at the door. And so he opens the door and he sees a woman there and she's wearing one thin linen gown on a cold day. And she's, it doesn't really, the diary doesn't say why she knocked on the door. It doesn't even say that she was asking for money or anything like that. But all it says is that John Wesley reached into his pocket because he realized that she was really cold reached in his pocket to give her money to buy extra layers of clothes, like a coat or a jacket or whatever they wore back then, cardigans. I don't know what they wore back then. Okay, and then he realized he didn't have enough money in his pocket to take care of her. And after she left, and he was really sad about it, this is what he wrote in his diary. He says, will thy master say, and back then I guess the word thy and thou, will thy master say, well done, good and faithful steward. Like, I wonder what God would say about me right now. Then he continues, thou hast adorned thy walls with the money which might have screened this poor creature from the cold. Like, oh, yeah, I don't think God is happy with what I just did right now. Oh, man. Uh, Next verse, the next line. He says, oh, justice, oh, mercy, please forgive me. I'm so sorry that I, your servant God, could not take care of this lady. Are not these pictures the blood of this poor maid? He looked at the painting that he just paid for, that he hung up on the wall, and he says, this is the reason why I don't have any money to take care of this lady. He's like, this is portraits of blood on my wall. And because he felt this way, because he realized this was my opportunity to experience heaven together, this is my chance to take care of one of your creatures, God, and I didn't get to do it, I couldn't do it, because I spent my money on a painting. Now, is John Wesley saying, you should never ever buy Paintings and hang it on the wall or decorate your house. No, he's not saying that. This was his journey with God, and he his heart was moved in this specific way. And so, ever since this happened, and John Wesley planted a lot of churches, and he visited a lot of churches. Wherever he went, he preached this sermon. It's like a three line sermon. He always started off by saying this. He says, "Guys." Earn as much as you can. If you have a well-paying job, good for you. That's from God. If you are really good with the stock market, good job. That's from God, good for you. Earn as much as you can. But don't just earn as much as you can. I want you to also save as much as you can. Like, there's, you know, like Don't just earn money and spend it all. Have a plan. Take care of the, the assets that God has given you. And he said, why? why? Why should we earn and save as much as we can? Because the third line. Be so that you could give as much as you can, earn as much as you can, save as much as you can, and and give as much as you can. Now, eventually, you know the Methodist movement started in England, Europe. He you know, it spread to the United States, so he came to the states. And he spoke at different churches, and one church that he got to, he wrote in his journal again, we're reading his journal, he said that he got to a church where somebody came up to him and said, hey, John, Pastor John, uh, hey, we've been earning as much as we can, we've been saving as much as we can, and then he just stopped right there. And John was like, no, you missed the most important part, man, like, giving is the reason why we earn and save as much as we can, like, make sure that you give, giving is the most important part. As a matter of fact, we also discovered from his journal that he said that like every year he spent amount like his living expenses let's just call that x he he lived on x and he was making just like a dollar or two above that so he was like i was living just a comfortable life a few years later he was making two x so x to live and x to give away and a few years after that he was making five x so he kept an x for himself and he gave away four x and even in this journal he says if the day I die, you search my house, you search my pockets, and you realize that I have more than X in my possession, then I'm the biggest hypocrite ever, and you should you know, cease following my teachings and stuff like that. And sure enough, on the day he died, they went through his stuff and found that he didn't have any money on him because he gave it all away. I'm not saying that's how we need to live, guys, okay? But the heart of what John Wesley, the conviction that he had is admirable because he realized that when he earns money, he wasn't just earning for himself. He was earning for his community. He was earning for the people who needed it. As a matter of fact, he would say this, and this is a very bold thing to say. He would say, a disciple of Jesus should not be financially irresponsible. Why is that? Well, because of that story I just told you. One day, God might knock on your heart and say, hey, I want you to take care of that person. Or one day, God might say, can you go to this place as, like, as a missionary, or can you go over there and buy lunch for that person? Can you go over there and take care of that person's groceries for a month? I don't know, God could speak to everybody here in different ways, if you're listening, right? But what if you were to say, I will love to God, I, I'm your servant, I'll do everything you want me to do, except for things that cost me money because I don't have any, I spent it all. So John Wesley's convinced that if you're not good with your finances, uh, he didn't say if you're not rich, Okay, you could still be poor and be responsible. You know, you could be rich or poor. It's not, it's not about how much you have. It's about being responsible. If, you're, if you don't have a plan, if, you don't have a, if you're not responsible financially, then it is difficult to be a, a disciple of Jesus. And so through this, John Wesley learned this, that money is a valuable tool for ministry. God could ask you to do something because you have the resources to do it because of the job that God has helped you get or you know, the, the, the culture that you're raised in or the opportunities that he's given you, whatever it may be. Because of the things that you have, the positions that you have, you could use that to make the world a better place. You could bring the kingdom of God to the people around you, right? So he's like, money is a tool. It's a tool like anything else, like your talents that you have. That's also a tool that God could use to serve the people around you. And money is also a tool that God has given you to serve the people around you. But He doesn't just stop there, because what the Scriptures teach us and Jesus teaches us is that money isn't just a valuable tool for ministry. Money is a valu- valuable tool for your heart. And you're like, well, whoa, 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 what? Heart? What does this have to do with heart? So what we're going to do is we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6. This is a a, a teaching of Jesus. For those of you who grew up in the church, you probably know this by heart, okay? But I want to slow down because if we're too familiar with it, we breeze right through it, right? I want to slow down, and we want to look at each line carefully because in this, we're going to discover something really interesting that Jesus is trying to teach us. So let's start from chapter 6, verse 19. It says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Now, if you never read this before, you're kind of like, what does that mean? Treasures on earth? Okay, I thought all treasures were on earth, right? Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. It's like, okay, Jesus, that was out of left field, but okay, I'll remember that. Next verse. But instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. What is that? We'll talk about that in a second. Where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Okay, Jesus, why are you telling this? Heaven? Earth? What, what are you talking about? Oh, I get it. I, may, I heard somebody talk about this before, that, that if I were to put my money, like my treasures into earthly things, it goes away, it breaks apart, you know, it rusts, it deteriorates. Like, but if I put my stuff into eternal things, then after I die, there's like a nice mansion waiting for me, right? Isn't that what the Bible teaches? Eh, Not really. (laughs) This is more of an invention of the last 200 years of Christianity. Here's uh, one of my favorite scholars, N.T. Wright. This is what he says about this verse. He says, of course, Jesus, like almost all Jews of that day, of his day, believed that after death, God would have a wonderful future in store for his faithful people, right? We like to call that heaven, right? But there's a problem. But they, these Jews from the first century, didn't normally refer to that future as heaven, this is something we do today. We say, after I die, I can't wait to be in heaven, right? In the first century, they didn't use that terminology. In the first century, they used words like eternal life. They used words like the age to come. They used words like the resurrection. They didn't use the word heaven in that way. When they used the word heaven, they meant something else. I know, confusing because today when we think about heaven, we think about what happens after we die, right? Not so t- 2,000 years ago. Instead, this is what heaven means. As with other references to heaven and earth, we shouldn't imagine he means, don't worry about this life, get ready for the next one. It's like, that's not what Jesus means here. Heaven here is where God is right now and where if you learn to love and serve God right now, you will have treasure in the present, not just in the future. This is what N.T. Wright means. He says, if you are walking down the street and you see something where you're like, wow, God is definitely present in that. That is heaven on earth. If you're walking around, it's like, wow, do you see that broken relationship get healed? That is heaven happening right here in my midst. God is in that. I feel like God is present in that. That is heaven. Whenever you see God working in your present life around you, that's heaven. God's presence is heaven. Okay, so with that in mind, let's read that passage again. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where uh, moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, meaning if you see God working in something, put your treasures there. If you see something that's like, that doesn't look like God, don't put your treasures there. And we'll talk more about that in a second. Where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then... Jesus continues to this very famous line. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. What is Jesus saying here? He's giving us a life hack here, guys. Have you ever heard anybody say, well, you know, the heart wants what it wants. Like, you can't control your heart. Jesus is giving us a life hack here. He's saying, do you want to learn how to control your heart? Do you want to know how to direct your heart? Because a lot of times, you know, we... we have this tendency of like, well, you know, I need to be doing that, but my heart just keeps getting drawn in that direction. He says, no, 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 no. Where you put your treasure is where your heart's gonna go. It's like putting a carrot in front of a horse. If you want the horse to go, or is it a donkey, both? Whatever animal follows the carrots, right? Uh, if you want that animal to go in that certain direction, you put a carrot in front of it. In the same way, where you put your treasures is where your heart's gonna go, in other words, What Jesus is saying is, your treasures will direct your heart. Have you ever wanted to control your heart? Have you ever noticed that your heart leads (laughs) leads you to things that you regret later on? He's like, there's actually a hack. You can control where your heart goes by placing your treasures in this specific story. He's talking about money. You could put your stuff in certain things, and your heart will be pointed in that direction. So he says, like, your treasures, it's going to direct your heart. And the second thing is... So place your money where God is present. This is what this teaching is about. You can control your heart by placing your treasures. That's how you do it. You actually have control over your heart. For a lot of you, that's really good news because you're like, I don't know why my heart keeps going after the wrong things. Well, now I can start going going towards the right things. Instead of things that are temporary, shallow, fleeting, things that are shaky ground, You can start putting your things on things that are deep, good, beautiful, things of God. And so this is why we're talking about money. Because God wants something for you. We're not here to take things from you. God wants to get things for you. And it's a really interesting thought here because, you know, Jesus understands that everybody here is going to be a slave to something or someone. Right? and he says, I want to make sure that your heart's directed in the way where your heart is a slave to something that is good. If you have to be a slave to something, make sure it's a slave to something that's good, right? And then Jesus continues his teaching, and it seems like he starts talking about a totally different topic, but he's not. We know, we know Jesus, he doesn't do that. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. It's like, okay, now Jesus is talking about eyes and bodies. Why, why you know? If your eyes are healthy, now he's talking about health, your whole body will be full of light. Now, Jesus is referring back to an ancient Jewish understanding that your soul, your health, you could detect how well a person is doing by looking at the person's eye. But they also believe that what you gaze your eyes on, right, what you focus your eyes on, can has the power to enlighten your heart, your body, or darken it, right? So he continues, but if your eyes are unhealthy your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So here he's saying, you know that saying the ancient Jewish saying that, that you need to watch what you're watching or you should be more careful what you're watching because when you keep focusing on war, there might be violence that's gonna start, you know, that's gonna be birthed in your heart. If you keep looking at brokenness, maybe you're gonna have a broken heart. So be careful what you look at. And he's comparing this to his first teaching, which is about, like, hey, if the eye is what you need to be aware of to make sure that you're healthy inside, same thing. If you want to protect your heart, make sure that the gateway into your body, which is the eye, make sure the gateway to your heart, which is your treasure, is in the right place. So let's kind of summarize, if I'm losing you, here's a quick summary of what we just talked about. First he says, in the first teaching, he says, your heart goes where your treasures go, right? And then after that, right now, he just says, so make sure you take great care of your heart. If you want to make sure that your heart is good, right, just like how the eye controls what's inside, your treasures control what your heart is. So make sure that your heart is well taken care of. And then Jesus moves on to a third teaching, which again seems random, but it's all connected. He says this, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, Or you will be devoted to one, to the one and despise the other. Like, wait a minute. First we're talking about treasures and now we're talking then we talked about health and eyes and light, and now we're talking about master and slave. Like what 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 is Jesus doing? Well he's saying, guys, you guys know how the system works. A slave can't have two masters. Because one master is gonna tell the slave, hey, don't listen to the other master, or that other master is gonna tell the slave, don't listen to the other master. You're gonna learn to despise one of them, right? And so, Jesus concludes with this one line, and I left a word out on purpose. You cannot serve both God and blank. Now, for those of you who have not read the Bible, okay, everybody else like, knows exactly what goes in that blank, right? But for those of you who don't know, you're, you have the advantage here because I'm trying to make a point here. If somebody were to say that there is some, that, that, that God is in competition for your heart, guess what that competition is, you would probably say, oh, it must be God and the devil. God and, yeah. You cannot serve both God and Satan, right? Or you cannot serve God and, uh, I don't know, um, politics, I don't know. You cannot serve God and, you know, the villains. I don't know, right? But what does Jesus say here? He says, you cannot serve both God and money. There we go, money. He says, your heart is being beckoned by God but it's also being beckoned by money. The greatest competition that God has when it comes to your heart is not Satan or devil or the demons. It's money. So, once again, let's summarize everything. Let's put it all together, okay? So first part, he says, your heart goes where your treasures go. And then he says, make sure you take great care of your heart. And then finally, he says, choose your heart's destination. You get to choose where your heart goes. You could put your heart on money or you could put your heart on God. If you put your heart on money, right, that's where your life is gonna go. That's the direction of your heart. That's where you're gonna be going from now on. If you put your heart on God, things that are more eternal, things that are beautiful, things that are heaven on earth, right? Then that is where your heart's gonna go. And by the way, this is an interesting thought I had, I don't know if this is true, but for those of you who are not like Dodgers fans, you're like, I love the, you know, start giving money to the Dodgers and I guarantee you, you will start loving the Dodgers. Anyways, okay, I just realized there's a lot of Northern California people today, so uh, sorry, bad joke, okay. But the point here is you have the power to control your heart. You can't say, well, the heart wants what it wants because now God, Jesus has given you the tools on how to direct your heart, and he's saying your heart is so important. I want to make sure that your heart goes in the right direction. It goes in the direction that has depth, beauty, restorative powers. So where? You need to choose. Where is the destination of your heart? You get to choose. And for this reason... Jesus is claiming that money is it's a spiritual issue. And this is why we need to talk about money at church. Money is a very important part of life. Like I said, kids are learning about it, adults are thinking about it, wrestling with it. And then when you're older, you're still thinking about it. Like money is an important part of our, all of our lives. It, it touches everybody's lives here. A lot of us, our biggest nightmares include money or a lack thereof, right? A lot of our goals, when people say, what do you wanna do when you grow up? A lot of times, people pick occupations based on how much it pays, right? Money is a huge part. Our entire lives are set on a direction based on where our heart is, and that's usually where our treasure is. And Jesus says, I want the best for you. I want you to have a life that's filled with love, depth, beauty, And the way you're gonna do that is by putting your treasures on the things that represents good, beauty, eternity. That's God, that's Jesus, put your heart there. So like I said, God wants the best for you, for you. And like I said earlier, you will be a slave or you already are a slave to someone or something. You don't get to choose whether if you're going to be a slave or not. What you do get to choose is who or what you're going to be a slave to. So the question that we need to wrestle with through this whole series is who or what do you want to captivate your heart? Your heart's going to be captured, captivated, and chained by something or someone. That's guaranteed. But you get to choose who your master is going to be. So who is it going to be? Is it going to be your stuff? You're going to live your entire life trying to protect your stuff? Is your whole life just going to be about you and making sure that you survive? Or is it going to be about heaven on earth, caring for the people around you? When God calls you to do something good for somebody that you have the resources to do so. What do you want your heart to be captivated by? Amen?